Welcome to the Daily Drive. This show is dedicated to keeping you educated, informed, and most importantly, driven to succeed. We want your feedback, so call us at 1-800-437-5121. Everyone on the Daily Drive Show team hopes you enjoy this show. Here's your host, Ken Noor. Welcome to The Daily Drive. I'm so incredibly glad that you are here today. I hope that you are having a fantastic day. And today, we're going to pick up right where we left off yesterday with Zach Zelazinski, the CEO, and I like to say chief storyteller of Declara. And we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. Here we go. I'm just going to say, I think that uh, when we talk to a number of different CEOs uh, on this show, uh, I have learned over time that one of the great assets that a that a good CEO needs to have is to uh, to not only be the the CEO but what we like to call the the CST which is the the chief storyteller and you have a knack for that man you you, you have a knack for being uh and I'm just talking to you in a short period of time uh of just being able to tell your story in such an easy and flowing way. So it's obvious to me anyway that you've got a passion about this. And I can see the buildup as you were kind of coming at me with the, you know, just this natural story of how we came all the way out of, uh, you know, elementary education and all the way through how you somehow landed. But what was that? What was the, what was the genesis moment? What was that one little moment where you said this, I'm going to build this. You know, I sort of, it's interesting. When I look back, I, I almost fell into sort of the education space. Um, so when I got to college, um, when, I, when I got to college, I, I went to a small liberal arts school called Clark University in, uh, in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, when, and when I got there, when I arrived at school, there was a very, there was, they had a, a business program and I was taking some business classes, but it was, a, um, they're really known for psychology and international, international development, um, sort of their sweet spot. And they did not have any sort of entre- entrepreneurship program or focus, um, uh, when I, when I arrived. But my second year there, um, you know, I was in some, uh, some of my business classes that I, you know, had some of my fellow students and, and a couple of, of them came up to me after one of our business classes one day, and they, they're like, hey, you seem kind of like really interested in, into this stuff, you know, literally like, you know, bantering in class and peppering the teacher with questions and everything. We we are really interested in business, too, and we we were thinking it might be cool to put together um, a, a student group um, to kind of get together once a week and just kind of brainstorm and talk about business and ideas because we didn't have an outlet to do that. And we had our formal classes, but there was not, there was no type of entrepreneurial presence on campus. There was no student entrepreneurship group. And even just the culture of the institution um, and the types of students they tend, that, you know, tended to attract in many ways, um, I think, look down upon any, any like business and just kind of capitalism in general. And I just did not share that view. I always believe that 
um, I was interested in doing good and making change, but I did not believe that um, businesses were inherently evil. Um, and I believe that capitalism could also be used for good and to support positive change um, at scale. Exactly. And so, but that was sort of, you know, the, the sort of overarching culture, you know, uh, I think among the student body and many of the professors outside of the, of the business, you know, the fairly small business program uh, did not feel that way. <laughs> Capitalism bad. And so, and so it was like, and, you know, others recognized this too that were in the business program. And so I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. Let's do that. So we, Decided to get together once a week. We rented out, uh, booked a conference room in the library, and it started. And we started to get together one evening a week, and you know, brainstorm and kick around ideas and see what happens. And so the first that first um, meeting we had, there were five of us, and then there were six the next week. And you know, the first couple, you know, three or four weeks we met. You know, we didn't really have a direction. We were just coming together to just as thought partners and to, you know, to have an outlet where uh, we we would not be negatively judged by, you know, our classmates or, or other peers just to, like, share our ideas and thoughts and, you know, brainstorm um, around business and see, you know, where things go. So, you know, probably about the fifth or sixth week that we met, I think we were maybe up to seven, seven or eight folks at that time, because um, word started to get out with some of the other uh, students. You know, I shared an idea. I said, you know, what if we actually like launch a launch, you know, what if we actually like try to launch a business? Like, why, like talking and brainstorming is fun, but like, let's do something. And, and they're like, okay, well, like, like, what are we going to do? And we kicked around some ideas and, and I was like, so I have this idea. I was like, and I'm like, okay, what, what is it? I was like, textbooks. Textbooks are so expensive. And you know what happens is, you know, we have to go and spend $500 per semester on five textbooks, one for each of the classes at the bookstore, spend about $100 a textbook. And at the end of the term, the bookstore buys that book back for $20 in store credit. If you want cash, they give you $10. And that's if the book has literally never been opened and is in perfect condition. And then what does the bookstore do? Well, after Christmas break, six weeks later, the new term starts. And they sell that used, they sell that used book that you gave them $100 for, they bought back from you for 10 or 20. They then sell that used book to the next group of students for $80 for the used copy. That's, we are getting, we are getting screwed. We are getting ripped off. Um, by the way, liberal arts school, ca capitalism, bad. Wonder where they got that. I mean, there, there can be a dark side to capitalism. And, you know, textbook publishers, textbook publishers, in my experience, opinion you know historically great example of that <laughs> but in capitalism um, there there's where you're talking about though i'm just going to jump in in capitalism uh if there's no competition it can get dark but as soon as we have this open free market somebody else can come in make a better mousetrap and suddenly the guy that's making all this money uh the the monopoly if, if you will but only because of isolation uh is suddenly has a competition and you're going to give a uh, you know a better product better service better a more, you know, you're going to take a fair margin on it. And what probably happened to them? They had to cut their margins back to compete. Yeah. And so I said, I said, here's the problem. We're getting ripped off and the bookstore is making a killing. And what, and I 
I think there's an opportunity for us to do something about that. We can we could short circuit that buyback cycle and get to the students before they get to the bookstore. We can, and in doing so, we can give the students more money, just a little bit more money than the bookstore provides in credit, but we're going to give that to them in cash. And then when we sell it, sell the books back, the used books, six weeks later to the new students, instead of selling it for $80, we can sell it for 60 So we're giving students more. We're saving them money when they're buying back, and there's still 40, you know, uh, 30 to 50% of that, of the, what that new textbook would cost left in margin, and that's our profit, right? And of course, we don't know the problems that we, we don't know what the problems of a real business are until we get into a real business. I can already see, oh, they changed the version on the book and I got caught with all these ones that I can't sell. So we started, we spent the next, you know, we ended up staying two hours that night and spent the next two hours basically coming up with what are all of those gotchas, all the things that could prevent us from doing this. And somebody said, well, like, that's like, where are we going to get the money to buy all of the books back the first time? I said, easy. We're, we can incorporate a company and we can sell shares in the company to other students as investors. And then they can get a cut of the profits for funding it and investing. And, and then, so, okay. And so what about, you know, what about the publishers changing the textbook versions and, and making sure that um, we're, we don't buy books that we can't sell? And I said, well, you know, They've already, we've, they've already, re- the school's already released the courses, the course listing for the, for the next term. And so we can compare that, the listings with this term and make sure we're only, we only target large classes that have multiple sections, high enrollment in the same, the same teachers. So we'll target just those classes that there's a large, the largest market for, the largest number of students both to buy back from and then also sell to. And then we can further refine that list. We can further refine it from there by checking when the la- the most recent pu- the publication date of the most recent version of that class's required course material required textbook are. I'm with you all the way. <laughs> I, yeah, I've got to share something though. I interviewed another CEO that, and I'm going to have to go back in my my history here. I, I swear I want to say I interviewed another CEO who. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I think was at the same college as you, but maybe it's not. But I know for a fact I've interviewed another CEO who did very similar what you did. And he said they got shut down. They were running it out of their dorms and the college turned on them and shut them down. I did almost an identical story as you. That almost happened to us. So we go through this process and they're like, we get to the end. They're like, okay, like, let's do this. I said, okay, well, I want to do this, but I'm going to need help. Well, you know, you guys help me. And four or five people were like, yeah, let's do it. Okay. And said, okay, I'll be the CEO. You can be the chief administration officer. You can be fi- uh, the finance guy. Um, and you're, and you, Andy, you're going to, you can do all of our, uh, he had a, uh, he was brilliant and gifted graphic, graphic designer and artist. I said, you can do all of our marketing and graphic design and, and branding, like, uh, advertising, stuff like that. We're like, okay, went online the next day and about spent probably most of what I had in my bank account that time, of, which was uh, like probably like $200, went online, incorporated a Delaware LLC online, got a IRS tax number, and we had an entity. Then Boom, here we go. Said, okay, we need investors. So what do we do? Uh, we 
created a five-page uh, investment prospectus. And uh, and a couple of weeks later, we started advertising it and networking with other students um, and said, we're going to hold this invest investment meeting. We all put on suits and ties, went into the library conference room, and put on the table put put on the table for everyone that attended a five page prospectus around describing the opportunity, the strategy, what we we're what we were going to do, um, and how we were going to be selling shares um, uh, to fund this, and then what they you know how they would be able to participate in profits as a return. We ended up raising twenty thousand dollars in about a week and a half with that, and that was our advice. And and that was our initial that was our initial uh, working working capital that we used to fund the first buyback, and so then we started really getting into call it guerrilla marketing. We would actually stand outside. And again, we didn't know what we didn't know, but you know that was actually freeing. That was actually so freeing, and that's why I you know uh, I often get asked to like go back to like my high school or other places and like give talks because I so like starting businesses from a pretty young age, um, and like talk about my career path and, and everything. And the number one thing that I always like to try to really get across, especially to, you know, high school and college students and people that are early in their in their careers is have a bias is you have to embrace a bias towards action. So many people, most people, uh research says and surveys show that most people want to start a business and own a business in their in their career, in their life. It's something like seventy or eighty percent. A very small number of people ever actually start a business because, and a lot of the reason for that, I think, is because people always want to wait for just the right conditions. There's always, you know, there's always, uh, you know, you have responsibilities. You have, uh, you have responsibilities. You don't, you know, you don't know where to start. Um, and you're like, yeah, I, I want to do that, but I have to, but I want to wait until, you know, the circumstances are just right. The fact of the matter is, Circumstances are never going to be just right, and that's I think that's why most people never actually take that leap and actually start something. And you have to just go. You just have to do. You have it. to just. You just have to go. And I, I like to say, and, you know, our our catchphrase at the time was "fake it till you make it," and kind of embrace that. Just embrace that, and just fail. Uh, the other thing is really fail forward and do it as fast as possible. So you know. When we were starting that first company, we didn't know what we didn't know, which is actually was just enough to make us dangerous. <laughs> and and had we had had we known at the you know by the end of that first experience, what had we known what we knew by the end of that first experience when we were starting, it, I think it probably would have been a harder sell, and we would have been less likely to do it. Yeah, but going through that, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know, and so we just. What did it and made it up as we went along, and we did almost get get shut down. I actually, you know, we one of our marketing strategies was standing outside of uh, the classes uh, for the exams that uh, they, the, the classes that we were targeting during exam week, and with an envelope, so envelope probably five thousand dollars in cash in it, and asking students on their way out of the exam, hey, can I buy that book off of you? I'll give you I'll give you uh, fifteen dollars more in cash, and the bookstore is going to give you in credit. Of course, everyone gives it. Of course, yes. Yes. Uh, of course, yes. Here we go. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Thank um, you. Yep. Bless you. So after <laughs> like day maybe like two or three of exam week when we're you know doing our buyback, we also parked a car directly outside on the street directly outside of the bookstore, which was you know an urban campus, so the bookstore was down a public street about a block. Um, 
run by Barnes & Noble, we parked a car and printed out huge signs and intercepted students on their way into the bookstore saying, hey, you have it? You want any of these classes? Let's get, let's get that book from you. Let me get that book. And so I, I actually I got an email from the chief operations officer of the university on day three or four of this process. And he's like, Zach, I need to – hi, my name's, my name's Paul. I'm the COO. Um, uh, I hear you are uh, uh, giving buying textbooks from students on campus, and I need to see you in my office today. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. And so yeah. I, Oh boy! Oh boy! And you can do I, this, but you really can't operate on our campus with uh, and and beat out our partner. That's exactly uh, it. And he says, he's like, look, uh, he's like, you know, I hear you're offering students money for their textbooks. I said, yeah, we're providing a service for students. We're saving them money. They're getting ripped off at the bookstore. And he's like, okay, but it's like he said, well, the problem is we have an exclusive contract with Barnes and Noble to, you know, to run the bookstore, and so. I can't have, like, you can't, part of that is you can't solicit or, you know, conduct business. You can't do this on camp on campus. And I said, and I was like, you know, Paul, this could be a PR nightmare. I mean, we are really providing a service for students. We're saving them money. Like, please don't shut us down. And, like, and, like it's not going to be good for us. We've taken money from other students as investors to help fund right. this thing. Um, this is a completely student-led and generated initiative that gave other students money. Yeah, and yeah, for students at your business school, like, and like, you, know, you don't want to shut us down. Like, that would be, this would not be good for you. It would be terrible for us. And students are the ones that would lose in the end. And he goes, well, he goes, you're, he goes, you're right, but, and, but because we have this contract, you cannot do, you cannot conduct transactions on campus, on campus property. But just so you know, wink, kind of wink, wink, um, the sidewalks are city property and not owned by campus. And so, and so I cannot, I can't, there's nothing I can do if you are, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. Um, but, right. uh, but now I the police could if they that. didn't like you operating on their sidewalks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they could have. But it's like, it's like if I can't, you guys can't stand outside of the classes in the academic buildings and hand students money, buy their textbooks from them like that. And I was like, okay, I I follow, I'll follow. We're, we'll adjust our approach. <laughs> and, and so we intercepted people with flyers starting later that evening instead, and directed them, directed them, you know, down to the car park in front of the bookstore with the big sign that the Barnes and Noble people are looking, uh, looking at suspiciously. And right. so we just, uh, you know, adapted, adjusted, iterated, and conti- continued on, you know, Absolutely. under those parameters. And ultimately, That's a great so lesson we ended for up business, isn't it? Adapt, adjust, exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. And so, so many of these lessons, you know, just uh, failing forward and making up as we go, as we go along, which just then come in handy and repeat themselves over and over over the course of you know, my career. I love the phrase you say, "fail forward." I'm, you know, I love. There's another phrase out there, and they, they are quote, and it's actually really old. And they say and that as the expert is the the man who has made all the mistakes there is to, are to be made in a narrow field. That's how you become an expert is by making mistakes and learning. And I think the other thing that hold entrepreneurs back, prospective entrepreneurs, they they have the desire. You know, like you said, seventy percent, a large number of people want to own their own business, but they never do it. And that's because they're afraid to fail. 
they're afraid to make a mistake and that and, and they can't tolerate it you you got to be you you must be risk averse uh to be an entrepreneur and those that can do it they can take that action step and can overcome that fear of failure and recognize that failure and mistakes are actually the way forward they are the way forward that's how you figure that it out. is that's how you learn uh, that is how you learn in life is is you just keep going and and you fail forward and you adapt and change and the the goal is to do that as quickly as possible so you have to be really flexible and open to learning and when you when you're doing so you know when you're doing something building a business trying to or even launching a new product or service or whatever it may be is to try it but don't get so attached to the way the all of the specific details of, of the how and, and what and why you're doing it and really um, that you lose – don't get so invested in in that particular way of doing it that you're not – that you can't learn and see and be able to kind of step back and see if there's a way that you could do it better and improve. Um, and that can be the case. If, check your ego at the door, right, and try to be objective and open to – changing and that and know that the, the when you try it the first time it's probably not going to work probably not going to work the second time um but it but you can just keep tweaking and tuning refining along the way and do that as quickly as possible and then that's what's going to get you ultimately to success and and something that's sustainable and scalable um in terms of, of your model we, we can go off and get ideas but when it comes to execution we're action let's get going but Sometimes uh, we get a little bit bored with the uh, monotony of getting it going, and okay, let's go through that. What's next? Let me. What's the next big thing? Exactly. What's the yeah? What's the next thing? And for me, what I what really juices me gets gets me juiced and really gets me going is like like it's building companies is a creative outlet for me. You know, I built three companies while I was in college. By the time I graduated, I built another one. You know, when I moved out to Silicon Valley from Massachusetts um, a couple years after college. Um, and then went and worked for a company in, a, in an existing company um, uh, at, uh, for a couple of years after after that, and and I did that because their CEO was like, hey, I heard you've like I, I hear you've done some work in education before. Um, we need somebody on the West Coast, and I really looked up to the CEO and thought I could learn a lot from him. So I was like, well, you know, I was ready to take a break from working with schools and education for a while after the last three companies I had built, but. You know, I think I could learn a lot from this guy. And so, yeah, I'd love to come, you know, come uh, work for you. And, yeah, let's let's take this on. And then from that, that was actually ended up being the stepping stone into, into Declara afterwards. And and uh, it, it's really uh, – but it's really a, the the process of actually ideating and, like, turning it into something tangible and building it from, from creating something where there is nothing – like a creative outlet for me and that's what really gets me passionate um it keeps me keeps me going is the that process of creating and building um is what i really really love the most about being an entrepreneur and building businesses and absolutely and so, yeah. i like to consider myself a serial entrepreneur because i've learned early on parallel entrepreneurialism is not a, necessarily a great way to go hey do one thing get it going get it right get it moving uh, and then go to the next thing, uh, because I, I have a weakness of being distracted into too many things and distractions, not a great way to run. That's not a great way to roll. Well, yeah, but you say weakness, but I think that restlessness 
I th- I view that as an asset. You know, they told me when I was in grade school that, you know, I had ADD. I, I'm sure I do. But you know what? It's that <laughs> I, I'm restless and I don't tolerate monotony well, but I think that is one of the one of the things that keeps me going and lends itself really well to being a, an entrepreneur because never comfortable just kind of sitting back and coasting, always always looking for that next thing. Yes, I, 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 I'm yes, absolutely. Hey man, uh, I'm just gonna say I'm really super appreciative that you uh, took the time out of your day. You got uh, you know a company to run and and uh, and you know all these things to get done, but. You took a minute, man, and you took a time to come out and spend time with us. Um, I didn't even really get to get into, you know, the whole uh, background of what we do on the show and why, but it's a value to us that you that you came on the show, and, and I'm uh, just really appreciative, and I'm glad that you came out and spent some time with us today. It has been an enlightening and very interesting conversation. Well, thank you so much, Ken. And again, thank you for having me. And yes, I'm Absolutely. always excited to, you know, connect with like-minded people and Absolutely. Uh, yeah, kind of, uh, evangelize entrepreneurship because, hey, it's the wave of the future. I hope you had a great time being a fly on the wall and listening to me and Zach have a great conversation about Zach's history, how he came up as a CEO, his life in school. It's so interesting uh, where he came from and the lessons he's learned that he shared with us in this interview. I hope you had a great time and I hope that you listen tomorrow on The Daily Drive. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our sponsor, That Company. Why is That Company the white-label digital marketing provider for some of the biggest agencies in the industry? Because we get results, we retain clients, and we deliver profitability. Visit www.thatcompany.com to find out how we can make your agency more profitable. If you want to give us feedback, call us now at 1-800-437-5121 or drop by dailydriveshow.com. Make sure you add us to your Alexa daily briefing skill. Don't forget that you can listen to us live every day on WQBQ at 7.30 a.m. The show wouldn't be possible without the Daily Drive Show team, executive producer Jake Perrick, web guru Taj Royer, and the audio man with the plan. Shoddy. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow.